Finally, Formula One is back in Melbourne for real. This time, we are actually going to go racing instead of just being there and going all back to their hotel rooms. But yes, how awesome is it to have Melbourne back on the Formula One calendar? So awesome, in fact, that we're going to have a special preview episode right here on the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pitch the Podium with a special segment that's also going to come out. More on it. More on that later on. But folks, welcome along to the show. My name is Somal Arora. I'm the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar, joined by Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team. And for a few moments, Kunal, we almost thought that the Australian GP won't happen again, this time not due to COVID or anything else, freight. I mean, it, it just seems like, for now, every, everything that could possibly go wrong does go wrong with the Australian GP. But this time, we do have a bit of a saviour. Yes, DHL was the savior. And thanks to DHL stepping in, we uh, are going to have a full house. The whole circus has landed and is ready to give us a cracking race at the Albert Albert Park Circuit in Melbourne, Australia. And, I, you know, Samuel, it's sort of like going around a full circle, especially with the whole embarrassment that was faced during the 2020 Australian Grand Prix. Mm. You know, fans didn't know whether the race was on. The the promoters were wondering if they had to cancel or would Formula One cancel or would the FIA cancel because eventually nobody wanted to lose money. They had to just make sure everybody got their insurances in, in place. So, yes, but it's it's great. DHL stepped in. And isn't it strange? MotoGP had, uh, you know, freight issues a couple of races ago. Was it just the last race in Argentina? And then Formula One now has had freight issues as well. And uh, I think we could have a certain Mr. Vladimir Putin to be blamed for this. Of course, indirectly so. But yeah, that's probably what all the sensors are picking up. Yeah, it's crazy how there's been so many freight issues. But yeah, luckily, we're having the cars come in. And Gunther Steiner have said, not have said, but has said that they, they will be considering what exactly goes on. But that's a secondary matter, right? Heading into a Formula 1 weekend, freight is something, but we want to be focused on the activities around the track. We want to be focused on the drama, the, the kind of showbiz that Formula 1 tends to do. And there was a fair bit of showbiz. V8 supercars, or uh, I think they don't call themselves V8 supercars, just supercars, which is a bit of a confusing name because when you initially hear, oh, well, Alonso and Perez are driving supercars, one might say, well, which ones? Hurricanes? Or, or maybe McLaren's? <laughs> But, but it was those Australian supercars and my word, Kunal, they, they look awesome. They sound awesome. Just another reminder to all of us Formula 1 fans that, yes, that is an amazing series that does exist. And they'll be racing again together with F1. Yes, it's a support series. And I love this whole, uh, you know, local marketing that Formula 1 is doing. You know, back in the Bernie era, it was all about my drivers will only drive a Formula 1 car. But now Liberty Media is saying, you know what? This sounds fantastic. Bring on some, you know, V8 supercars. Hey, that's what I grew up calling them and, you know, watching them race all along. It's always going to be the V8 supercars for me. But either way, yeah. So, you know, Liberty Media said, bring along those cars. We'll put some of our famous drivers. The locals know these cars and the teams inside out. So why don't they just go and have a few laps, uh, you know, around the Albert Park circuit? And, you know, the strange thing is all along, Formula One would have thought that you know, a supercar is what a Formula One car is, yeah. but clearly not when you're in Australia, Samuel. So talking about, you know, supercars, the medical car driver, and I now forget his name, especially the one who's going to be driving at the Australian Grand Prix, is also a supercars star in his own right. So, uh, you know, this is another very good uh, marketing tool 
that Formula One is using to localize as many elements of the sport as they can, Sommel. Yeah, Karl Reindler. He, he's the driver that we're talking about. And it's great that Formula One has done that. I remember previously, we had something interesting uh, with Formula One. I think we had a MotoGP car, an F1 car. I think Mark Webber driving that. And a V8 supercar race all together at Albert Park. And great to see those memories properly kind of reiterated in a way where the supercars taking part at Albert Park once again. It's awesome to see what's happening here. Yes, you know, Lewis Hamilton would have been like, yeah, just get me the Yamaha MotoGP oh, bike. Yes. I drove one just a few years ago. But, you know, the Miami Grand Prix is up next. Uh, it's going to be the debut. I'm wondering if Alonso is going to jump into one of those Indy cars, you know, and, and mm. try one of those local racing cars that happen, uh, that, that are more familiar to the Americans. Although, I beg to differ now, even though it's my own view that I should share, with Drive to Survive. Probably Formula One is more popular in the, in, 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 in America than IndyCar. Again, just making a loose assumption. But I would love to see that happen. You know, an IndyCar being driven at the Formula One circuit in, in Miami. Uh, Alonso's driven one, of course. McLaren, they've got yep. an IndyCar and a Formula One team. You know, there's always a talk of Colton Herta doing the crossover it's just so many possibilities. I, I'd, I'd love for Liberty Media to pick something uh, like that up as well, Samuel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the thing of it, a Formula One IndyCar kind of, uh, I wouldn't say mashup because that's too loose a term, but say some sort of collaboration in some way possible with McLaren being the overarching one on that. That'll be cool. But I, I want to talk more about Albert Park as well, right? Because we, we've kind of discussed all the build-up that's happened around. But the circuit itself, Kunal, that's been a major attraction point for most of the fans as well. That It's changed massively. It's almost like Jeddah 2.0. Not in terms of the corners, but just the speed of them and how wide they are and how ferocious they are. This just looks like a crazy circuit. As if the old one wasn't. I, I don't even know which is my favorite change because there are so many great ones that kind of made the racing so much better, especially that one in the second sector. You know... I'll put it this way, and this is something I think Roman Groschon said a few years ago, so it's not my original idea. Uh, he said that Formula One is hell-bent on changing rules to make the cars race better. Yeah. They're changing the formula, they're forcing the teams to rethink, reinvent. And that, he said, was actually a very expensive proposition when it came to you know creating entertaining races. He said, just go ahead and change the, the circuits. Uh, it costs lesser. It's something that can be done several times back and forth if it doesn't work and then see what sort of layout actually works in giving you an entertaining mm. race. So, you know, maybe Liberty Media have taken leaf out of the Roman Crochon book, not the <laughs> eating the, 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 cook the cooking book, book but uh, <laughs> the cookbook, right? But yeah, you know, although I must say I've driven a million miles on Albert Park in the simulator myself. Okay. I love the circuit. I know the old circuit back off I'd, I'd probably drive it in my dream if i had to in my sleep Same. if i had to that turns nine and ten that that the one that they've changed or radically reprofiled and all of that was my favorite corner because that was the one corner of the circuit that had a wall on the exit exactly. everything else has a gravel trap everything else has a bit of a distance of and now, of course, they've just increased that distance as well. So that's one corner I wish they wouldn't have taken off. But, you know, I'm again an old schooler when it comes to Formula One. I'd love to see high-speed battles that happen. And as we know, Sambal, there are four DRS zones this weekend. And we did some really basic math, uh, Sambal and I. And, you know, 
DRS is 46% of the overall circuit layout. The circuit layout is 5.2 and the DRS is closely about 2.4 kilometers. And that is ridiculous. I don't know if it's, you know, over-reliance on DRS because I know Sundaram RF1 stats guru pulled out a stat saying after Monaco, Albert Park actually had the least number of overtakes for a circuit sawmill. It's overkill. I mean, really, when you come to think about it, if you get DRS at one section, right, you eventually carry it on to the end of the second one because there's no detection point. So there's, there's two places where you do that. And think of it, if you pass someone, uh, I mean, if, if you're behind in the detection zone, you get the DRS, you pass someone in the forthcoming DRS zone, you are ahead, but you are the person who still has the DRS for the next zone. So isn't that counterproductive in a way? I mean, that's the idea of DRS is supposed to be both cars can race each other, but the car behind has a massive advantage. And I know Formula 1 might be saying, well, we know that it won't be working out. So that's why you get a second opportunity. But what if someone actually gets past? They have a more lasting advantage. So it kind of feels like overkill in a way. You shouldn't be doing that. But again, I guess we'll only have to watch to find out how it works out, right? Yeah, I guess so. You know, at this moment, everything in theory either will say that it'll work fantastically well or not. And, yeah. you know, at the moment, everyone, everyone's built a scenario, which is what you've said, that you will overtake in the first uh, DRS that uh, DRS zone when you have the you know the opportunity to press the DRS and then in the second DRS you will just use the DRS wing to further build on your lead yeah. but who knows you know when you put a Max and uh, a Charles and maybe a Sergio and and a Carlos there some really intelligent smart witty naughty drivers maybe they'll find a way to figure out how to make four DRSs work in their favor somehow. yeah exactly and and that bit about Max and Charles what if we have that cat and mouse game happening again what if they kind of play it more strategically. It's a bit silly. I think three races down the line, we'll get bored of it. But until it happens, I think it's going to be fun, right? So let's wait and watch what exactly happens here. But crazy, crazy how effective DRS is. And I don't know, maybe just get rid of it, right? Maybe once we get bored of it, what do you reckon, Gunnar? That's actually what I was going to say, Samuel. You know, in fact, the DRS has turned out to be so effective this year, especially on a car like the Red Bull, right? That... I'm reminded of what Formula One was very boldly saying. We hope that with the 2022 rule changes, we have to take away the DRS and the cars are just able to naturally race each other. But the truth is, now it just seems like an over-reliance. They're saying, we don't care how we get entertaining races, so long as we get all the entertainment we promised all our fans that we'll have pretty much every single racing weekend, Samuel. Yeah, exactly. There's there's that. And I really hope that at some point we can get rid of it because again as i mentioned it's it's fun for now those cat and mouse games but three or four races later we'll be scratching our heads saying this is not racing and some people already have and, and some really prominent people in the world of racing have so there's that but hey actually we've got a really fun section to kind of tell you about here's lucian back on the podcast not talking about the drs like kunal and i were in the last couple of moments but talking about his favorite australian gp memories in his traditional format so that's going to be awesome let's listen to that right here hi guys lucian byfield here it's been a long time without a contribution from me but with the australian grand prix on this weekend after two years away due to covid associated restrictions we are finally back in the land down under to throw another shrimp on the barbie Something I have never known anyone to do, actually. Oh, and crack open a tinny and watch some racing. Now, not every Aussie is a bogan. 
and many truly love motorsport for what it is. But in general, I think the Aussie way is more about having a day off, taking a sickie to attend a sporting event, or to get drinking, eating, partying, basically any excuse for a celebration. It could be marbles, table tennis, you name it. If we put on a big enough event and there is sun, beer and barbecues, Aussies will turn out in their droves. For we really are a sport mad nation. Or should I say, an any excuse for a barbecue type of nation. <laughs> I think you get the point. My own memories of the Australian Grand Prix relate to my hometown of Adelaide and from 1985 until 1995, 11 races were held officially as the final round of the FIA Formula One World Championship and two of those races were title deciders in 86 and 94. As I lived nearby, I first got a taste of Formula One in 1986 on a school excursion to see what all the fuss was about. I had moved away from Adelaide as a kid, but had returned in 1986, a year after the first official Grand Prix won by Keke Rosberg. And that win would be his final win in Formula One, and in 86, he had his final drive in Formula One too. I attended a couple of practice days in 86, but went to the full weekends about seven times, and I count myself incredibly lucky to have witnessed some of the greatest names to have ever graced the Formula One tarmac. People like Prost, Senna, Mansell, Piquet, and so many more. Now, being the final race of the year meant we Aussies usually saw the final drives of many great names in the sport. Think of Nelson Piquet, Alain Prost, Keke Rosberg, just to name three. And we also witnessed the final wins of Senna, Mansell and Rosberg too. Oh, and in a rain-soaked 89, we saw Senna spin, spin, spin! And Satoru Nakajima set the fastest lap of the race. Ha! Adelaide was famously popular as the whole town embraced the event like no other city at the time and was regularly voted as the most popular and the most well-organised event by those on both sides of the pit lane. I got into the pits a couple of times, seeing some big stars up close, and was so close I almost got to touch the cars too. It was a truly amazing atmosphere. In all honesty, it was the smell of burgers being cooked at 8am, the sight of the beautiful Fosters and Marlborough girls walking around, and the supporting categories, particularly the Aussie touring cars, that got my attention. My love of Formula One was ignited more by the atmosphere and for having a day off from school, rather than from following those ugly open-wheeled cars, as I thought of them at the time. The first car to catch my eye in 86 was the Benetton of Gerhard Berger, with that dark green and white with splashes of coloured paint livery that was so beautiful to behold, and with that insane BMW engine revving harder than any other on the track. Little did I know Berger had won for the first time in the previous race in Mexico. I had no Formula 1 knowledge at all, but then I saw Senna in the JPS Lotus, and what an image that was. But then it really happened for me, once I saw the Daglo Red, or Daglo Orange as some said, of the McLaren driven by Alain Prost. Something clicked inside of me, and though it took a while to get fully into Formula 1, Prost was to become my hero, especially when he crashed out in 87 right on the corner I was seated at. I never watched the 86 race on TV, I actually forgot about it and I kick myself to this day, but I was lucky to see Prost win in 88 and also to see his final drive in 93. And who would have thought that the Adelaide 93 podium was to be the last for both Senna and Prost? I have no affinity or affection for the Melbourne race, as I have never been to it yet, but I will mention just a few things that I do recall over the many years those thieves have hosted it. <laughs> 
Usually the Melbourne race has been the first round of the championship. So us Aussies got to see new drivers and driver team combinations for the first time. Think Schumacher debuting for Ferrari alongside Eddie Irvine. And Eddie would get his first career win there too in 99. What about Jacques Villeneuve putting his Williams on pole on debut? And that mighty crash that Martin Brundle had that same year. Now McLaren won for the first time with West Livery in 97 with Coulthard, but then the team caused controversy in 1998 as Ron Dennis called for team orders, which actually upset the bookies more than the fans. What about that horrific crash between Jacques and Ralph Schumacher that resulted in the death of Marshal Graham Beveridge? This needs to be remembered for Marshall's volunteer and are the unsung heroes of our favourite sport. That corner would be the site of some horrific crashes, including Fernando Alonso's massive mother and a father of all crashes in 2016. Lewis Hamilton famously debuted in Melbourne, showing the world he meant business by overtaking his double world champion teammate in the first corner. And as I think about it, champs like Hamilton, Button, Villeneuve and Alonso, to name a few, all made their Formula 1 debut in Australia. Of course, I could go on and on about the great and the not-so-great memories we have witnessed in Formula 1 over the years here in the land of Oz, but we are in for a real treat this year with track modifications making it a much faster track and with the introduction of four DRS zones for the first time in Formula 1 history. Now, I want Carlos Sainz to get his first win. I have money on him this year too. Come on, smooth operator. All right, my friends, enjoy the race. Ciao for now from me, Lucien Byfield, in South Australia. And I think he's got a point, Kunal. Uh, he just spoke about having his money on Carlos Sainz uh, after discussing all his amazing memories, Lucien, which is so great to listen to, so much fun in his traditional format. But Carlos Sainz, I suppose there's a, there's a bit of an expectation, isn't it? Because after all that's happened in the first couple of races, he wouldn't want to be known as Ferrari's number two. Would you back him for this weekend, per se? You know what? We are now at the third race of a 23-race calendar, right? And even though we are definitely not going to remember the third race by the time we reach the 23rd race, the truth is that there are certain teams and drivers who actually need to deliver literally now. Mm. And I stand with Lucien when I say Carlos signs for the win. And Lucien, by the way, also has the lovely melodious jingles that you hear at the start and the end of the podcast as well. So thanks for your music, Lucien. But I'm going to actually have a pick of three things or three people or three teams that need to deliver at the third race weekend of the season already, uh, mm. Samuel. So definitely Carlos Sainz Jr. He knows he has the tools now. He knows that he actually took the battle and won against Carlos, uh, Charles Leclerc in 2021. He knows he's supposed to do that in 2022 as well, you know. So we've spoken about him in the previous episodes. He's definitely the one I would look for. The second, Daniel Ricciardo. Mm. He has yet to score a point this season, right? And I know he's sounding extremely positive and he's not sounding like he's panicked, etc., etc. But who would have ever thought that Daniel Ricciardo in the McLaren, the struggles would still continue in 2022 yes i know he's had he's had a retirement etc cetera, etc cetera, but he's definitely not gone and you know put you know scorched the track uh against lando norris either in 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 the limited two two races that we've had up until now and then the third of course you know mercedes everybody's saying 
the magic fix to Mercedes's problems is soon coming. And how soon is just that? And just a quick word on Mercedes, Samuel, before I ask you who your three uh, things to watch for uh, this weekend are, you know. Uh, we've literally, like we spoke before, had a triple header. We had the test, we had the race in Bahrain, we had the race in Saudi Arabia. So Mercedes couldn't really get the upgrades onto their car because everything just, you know, all the sessions came to them really fast and, and quick, right? And there was no mm. gap. But between Saudi Arabia and Australia, there has been a gap of a week. Uh, of course, there's a larger distance for the team to travel if they had to bring any upgrades, etc. But would Mercedes have had enough time to get some fixes for their car this season and, you know, uh, for their car this weekend? Because let's remember two things. First is they are closer to fourth place than to second place not ideal situation for them to be but mm. they also have enough of a gap uh, you know in their performance they have a buffer in their performance for them to experiment that bit more and that's what they actually did with lewis hamilton in saudi arabia as well the experimentation that cost lewis a place in q1 Sommel. yeah you're right and you kind of read a point from my mind that i was about to talk about the upgrades because mercedes at least they at least they claim that there's no magic fix. So they'll have to work all the way through. I think they are bringing a rare wing to this particular weekend. So let's wait and see how that plays out. But but you're right, they have the liberty to experiment. And this kind of brings me on very well onto the other drivers that I'm looking forward to because Sergio Perez is the one I've picked for Red Bull. And Red Bull apparently are experimenting with upgrades as well. They seemingly have got some sort of a package coming in that's going to dramatically shed down the weight of their car, which is seemingly overweight. Uh, from what I've read, it's around a couple of tens, but no point speculating. We'd only have to see to find out. And he seems to be the one who already is poised for that number two position, although he has proven that he can't quite be the number one, right? He outqualified Max in Saudi Arabia, kind of lost the race through no fault of his own. So you don't want to be pushed down into that number two position, much like Carlos Sainz at Ferrari, even though you know that you have the tools to perform. So Sergio Perez is going to be one driver for me. And again, it's it kind of leads into the whole Leclerc versus Verstappen battle. Which upgrade is going to be better, the Ferrari one or the Red Bull one? Again, only time will tell. But it's so exciting to see this development more kind of spill out from the third race already. And then the other drivers that I have to pick out. Firstly, Fernando Alonso. Because last week, he kind of, not last week, wow, it's been two weeks. But hey, last race, he completely got beat by Esteban Ocon in that battle that we had on track. Then, of course, there was the power unit failure that didn't kind of help out. But seems like the pressure is on him. Seems like he's not like the alpha male who's the sole driver performing in that team anymore. Ocon is providing a threat. And that's amazing to watch. So for me, him delivering this weekend is going to be fun because now, finally, there's a pressure on him, right? He's not, he's not like the only driver. And then, of course, similar thing can be said for Mick Schumacher because suddenly, he, he's not the team leader. He's not the alpha. He's, he's had a big crash in Saudi Arabia. He's now on the back foot. Kevin Magnussen, yes, he's more experienced. But you can see that they have almost the same amount of driving time in this particular car. So for him, it, it's it's a big moment. You don't want to be falling back into that number two territory also, certainly, because the team, that's what the perception they have, right? Then, okay, if you've lost in the first seven, eight races, you become the number two. And for Mick, this is the crucial time that he doesn't quite become the number two. So race number three, it may seem early, but I think it kind of matters a lot at this moment in time, you know. It does. Can you imagine 
Schumacher as a number two driver oh. when it was his father who very famously made the whole number one thing happen. But anyway, it's, uh, you know, it's Mix's first time, uh, you know, around the Albert Park circuit. So he's got some learning to do, mm. much as it would be for Sunoda and for uh, Joe Kwan Yu as well. Uh, the Alpines, you spoke about uh, Fernando Alonso. Look out, guys. They are not pink this weekend. Yep. They are actually blue this weekend as well. And as for Ferrari, they have reunited with Mission Binau, which seems a bit of an opportunistic thing. Or maybe, you know, their separation and the reunification was just a part of the strategy. You cannot separate Philip Morris from Ferrari for too long, Samuel, can you? Yeah, I think Mission Winnow, regardless of how you pronounce them, kind of got the inclination that Ferrari have taken their name into action this year. So they probably said, well... We kind of join in, right? Ferrari is winning now, and that, that was the mission. Sorry, failed pun. There's that. But <laughs> Sebastian Vettel is back. That's not something that's bad at all. And, and he looks handsome this weekend, if I can dare say that. Again, that's not traditionally what we discuss, but he, he looks good and so great to see him back here. And I think it'll be so great to see him once again re-establishing the pecking order at Aston Martin. Because clearly that, that team has a second driver problem. <laughs> You mean a first driver problem if you're Lawrence Stroll. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> Fettel being back, there are two things to look out for Sebastian Fettel. First is he's not yet revealed the name of his racing car for 2022. That's right. And, you know, given who pays his bills, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the name of some Aston Martin, James Bond character, etc. Because the new Bond film is also premiering this uh, this weekend, Samuel. So that's one thing to look for. And, you know, Fettel is like one of those old schoolers, again, saying, the or the the Formula One season always starts for me in Australia, so hey, I'll just land up and start racing in Australia, and that's what he's actually doing. But you know, jokes aside, it's great that uh, COVID is over and done with for him. Uh, I will miss Nico Hulkenberg being in the car, but you know, Fettel is is uh, is probably uh, far more popular and far more dependable for Aston Martin. I, I assume so. So let's see what let's see how he gets going in his first race of the season because he also has had a troubled time in preseason testing and you know frankly he's actually not been in that car yeah. since almost a month so if he gets into that car and he actually still outperforms La- Lance Stroll I wonder if Ralph Schumacher is going to make another comment about Lance Stroll and his hobby of racing in Formula One <laughs> I kind of love it and and if you've got a parent to fund your hobby why not it kind of Kind of works out very well. But Kunal, before we wrap off, final thoughts about this weekend. What do you reckon is going to happen? What are your predictions as well, I must ask? I would love to predict a Max Verstappen win. But I think it's going to be a Ferrari on the top step. And I think it's going to be Carlos Sainz this weekend. I think he would have had time to figure what's actually not 100% for him in that Ferrari. And he badly needs a win, like I've been saying, right? But truth be told, before, you know, predictions, the one big question that I really hope uh, we have an answer to, when I say we, I mean Formula One, Mm. will the Ferrari versus Red Bull battle continue this weekend as well? We've almost taken it for granted that, hey, every race weekend we turn up, you know, there is going to be a battle at the front, whether it's a Ferrari versus Red Bull this season or a Red Bull versus Mercedes last season. So I really hope that that trend continues, that we have a battle, that all the upgrades, all the weight saving, all the reliability issues are kept aside and we eventually have 
these two teams going you know uh, you know hand in glove and you know driver with helmet and whatever it is that takes to sort of give us a battle this weekend as well sambal yeah exactly and i just hope that the development war although productive it kind of keeps them together because we we don't quite want to see that kind of taking ferrari away right uh, well i kind of assume that they'll be the one losing out but that's what's happened in, in the last 5 odd years right so let's hope that this ends out properly and let's hope that this weekend my prediction carlos signs as well ends up winning the race's first one and what a place to do so right albert park it's it's a place where we genuinely like to see good moments happen more, more than others because it's sunshine daylight start of the year whatever you might like to call it but folks that's all from us right here today on this particular episode of the inside line f1 podcast and pitch the podium subscribe to the podcast leave us a good like a good rating and we shall be back post qualifying for the review of that one see you folks have a good time bye 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 bye